Scott Roeder. He is a Christian and he calls himself a born-again Christian. He is passionate about the moral fiber of this country. He believes Christians everywhere have a duty to do everything in their means to stop evil and that the success of that duty justifies those means. This is Dr. George Tiller. He was a Christian and called himself a Lutheran Christian. He was a physician in Wichita, Kansas, and along with his other duties as a doctor, he also performed abortions. On Sunday, May 31st, 2009, Scott Roeder walked into the Reformation Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas, just after 10 a.m. in the morning, where Dr. Tiller, a member of that church, was serving as an usher that day. Roeder pulled a gun, shot Tiller in the head, and he died instantly. During his trial, Roeder, who had given a full confession of the murder, claimed he should not be found guilty because he was simply protecting the lives of others. He called his action justifiable killing. And he, and many others in this country who agree with him, claim that scripture supports what he did, and that as Christians, we too are called to the same action. Perhaps Roeder and his followers are not familiar with this parable. Or, if they are, the main point Jesus is trying to make in this parable must elude them. The last time we were together, we explored what I believe is that main point Jesus is trying to make in this parable. God's paradoxical answer to what we are to do about evil. Allow. Afiame. Both to grow together until the harvest. Afiame means to forgive, to allow, to suffer. Now, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to spend the time to go back through this, this here, but it is online, and you can listen to it. And I think I just sent out that update this week to, to cover how we get here. But anyway, here is God's paradoxical answer to what we're supposed to do with evil. Forgive it. Allow it. Suffer it. And we saw again, when we were together, the scandal, at least from the human perspective, of the gospel message. God gave his own life to take care of the problem of evil. And because of that, we are all forgiven. All of us. For free. And subsequently, we're asked to believe in that forgiveness and evidence that faith in our lives by forgiving others. By forgiving others. So today, I want to talk about the practical side of why the farmer told his servants not to weed the garden. Why does God tell us to forgive you? I want to talk about that practically, what that looks like. Let's start by going back to verse 25. Because I think there is a valuable lesson here that can help us begin to better understand our role in God's kingdom. Okay? But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. Notice that the enemy has no ability to directly affect the kingdom of God. If he did, wouldn't he have come into the field and dug up the seeds, or ripped up the wheat, or spread poison to kill the wheat? Instead, all he did was plant his weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. As it is told, there is a decided impotence to the enemy's scheme, isn't there? And what's more, when you read this parable, there is a very comforting confidence 
in the farm. He doesn't seem to be worried about this at all, does he, when, he's, when his, his workers come running to him. This should offer us much courage, I think, when it seems evil is running wild in the world. For I think what Christ is telling us is that while there is plenty of evil that crashes down on us, sudden illness, premature death, horrifying accidents, unfaithful spouses, premeditated violence, bankruptcy, cancer, Ebola, war, these things are not the final reality. And if we could just see this world as only a very small part of the larger story, we could be comforted knowing evil cannot do any permanent damage. And please know, this is not cliché. I was fascinated today, this happens a lot, hasn't happened in a while because we've both been in different places, but often David will start off the morning and talk right to what I'm teaching and he never knows what I'm going to be teaching. And that was one of those days that I couldn't believe what you were saying. This is not some canned pop psychology soundbite that's supposed to make us feel better by focusing solely on a distant dream. It's not what it is. Hope is real. That's why God died to give us hope. To show us death is not the answer. And this is the answer St. Paul himself gave to evil in Romans chapter 8. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also, but also we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. Hope. Hope that this is not the end. Hope that there's so much better than our suffering. Luke Johnson comments on Romans 8 this way. He says, The Spirit, then, is a pledge of our future redemption. Human suffering is not eliminated by the resurrection life, but it is transformed since we are sustained in it by the Spirit. Christians see the suffering of the world as birth pangs of a new world. It is not blind optimism, but the paradox of hope in suffering that enables Paul to declare that there is meaning even in the reverses of history, even in blindnesses. That is such a powerful quote. Blind Willie Johnson said the same thing, just a little differently. Hope. Hope. There is meaning even in the reverses of history. So everything evil does is temporary at best. You see, the kingdom of God, despite the counterfeit kingdom of evil growing alongside of it, is still mysteriously doing its thing. Sure, it may not be as fast as most of us want it to be, and sometimes it's very hard to see it through all the weeds that surround us. But be assured, the kingdom of God is growing. Forgiveness is redeeming people. Love comes. And grace wins. Jesus then starts speaking to the mystery of the kingdom of evil, the counterfeit kingdom. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this 
he replied. And this begins to explain, I think, why God tells us to allow, to forgive, to suffer evil. The workers do not even know where the weeds have come from. The farmer's answer is simply, an enemy has done it. I don't think we should underestimate the importance of this idea. And I know it's something, the more we progress in theological thought, we tend to diminish this idea, but I don't think we should. I don't necessarily think we should try to understand the origins of evil, for that takes us off the task of what we should do with it. Notice there's nowhere in the parable where the, the servants start to have theological debates about the origins of evil. Okay? But we should certainly understand that evil exists. A mystery that exists. This can help us with forgiveness. Let me try to explain. One of the essential aspects of the long journey into truly forgiving others is understanding. Is understanding. But because there are always situations that are beyond human understanding. If any of you, here's one example is, if, if any of you have ever studied the Rwandan genocide, or even read about it, one of the things that becomes very clear is in, in interviewing many of the people that were part of the Rwandan genocide, they will say they had no idea why they were doing what they did. Some of them can't even remember slaughtering hundreds of people. These things go on. I remember back in the early 90s, one of my favorite essayists, Lance Morrow, he wrote a brilliant cover piece for Time Magazine, and it was just called Evil. And he was exploring this. Is there something evil? Does evil exist? An enemy did this. Evil exists. So, I think this is where the mystery of evil can help us in forgiving. Because, as Christ was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think his awareness of a very real enemy allowed him to make this statement. Now, please understand. The outside influence of evil, their unknowing of what they do, does not take away their culpability. Only God's forgiveness does that. They are still guilty, of course, for choosing to participate in evil. We all have free will. But Jesus moves into forgiveness seamlessly and naturally based in part on his understanding that there is more to evil than corrupted human nature. And that can help us forgive too. That can help us forgive too. It helps us understand then Jesus explains, No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. So the servants are all upset about the weeds, and they want to start weeding. And here we begin to understand the methods of evil, and why Jesus is adamant that we do not become weed killers. You know, when I was like 10 years old, I wish I understood this parable better. Because one of my after-school jobs every day was weeding my father's gardens. <laughs> to this day, I don't weed. Drives my nut wife nuts. She's like, David, the garden. I'm like, I don't do it. I don't. I get cold sweats. <laughs> every time I came home from school, no, number one, weed the garden. Oh, I wish I knew this parable. I love this parable. <laughs> Here's why. He knows ripping up the weeds are going to rip up the wheat, too. 
And that is exactly what the enemy wants to happen. That's it. The enemy knows he can't do anything directly to the kingdom of God, so he schemes to get the kingdom's workers to do it for him. Now, the good news is, the workers in this parable didn't do any damage. But I'm not so sure that's always been the case. Even a cursory reading of Christian history tells us the workers have often gotten involved in weeding, and it has always led to some very, very tragic consequences. Consider the story I started with today. Rhoda's reasoning was the same as the workers in the parable. To stop the spread of evil, he was going to rip up the weeds. But here's the problem. He ripped up plenty of weeds. Number one, how many people who are already thinking Christianity was questionable in the first place now have a good reason to completely reject it? Because he killed someone in cold blood in the name of Christianity. Number two, how many young girls who may have been at least willing to listen to reasons why there are other options for unwanted pregnancy will now simply ignore it because they think all anti-abortionists are as crazy as this guy? And number three, and most importantly, what about Dr. Tiller himself? He was in church when he was killed. I'd say that's wheat. And before anyone starts arguing, well, he couldn't possibly be a Christian if he was performing abortions, well, we should pause, I think, and look in the mirror. If we have to be 100% wheat to be a Christian, we're all out of luck. We are all out of luck. We're all Christians because of what God did, not because of anything we do or don't do. That's the gospel. And isn't this ultimately at the heart of what Christ is warning about in this parable? There are no all good guys, and there are no all bad guys. I know we like to think there are, especially those bad guys that hurt us. Right, Tito? They're all bad. And deserving of the worst possible judgment. But think about it. Think about our own lives. Haven't we hurt people? I have. Don't we often look a lot more like weeds than we do wheat? I do. Should we be ripped out of the garden? If the standards are simply black and white, then everybody should be ripped out. Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. He was correct. The idea of neatly dividing humanity into good and evil is a very human invention. I don't think God does that, and I don't think we should. And even for those of us who want to hyper-spiritualize this parable and call the wheat the saved and the weeds the unsaved, that's fine. It's, it's a fair reading of this parable, but we should be very careful. Number one, what litmus test are we using to decide who is wheat and who is wheat? Christianity is an enormous tree with many branches. And every single branch has their own litmus test of what makes someone a Christian. What makes someone saved. If there are, and, and they all have scripture to support it. Let's not put on that narrow little mindset that we're the only ones that have scripture to support our views. 
They're all of scripture to support their views. I've yet to go in a church that's teaching out of Dr. Zeus. They all use the Bible. They all have it. So do we really want to play God when there are so many possible litmus tests as to who's wheat and who's wheat? And number two, let's think about the gospel as Christ and Paul taught. So Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Paul helps us understand this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So God loved the world as we were. Sinners, his enemies. Weeds, if you will. All of us. Died for us. Everyone is invited. Everyone. And until that moment comes that only God knows when somebody absolutely rejects that invitation, everyone is in. God died to save the world. I believe Jesus with all my being that when he said that, it was true. God died to save the world. The world's saved. I love the way Capon writes this. This is such a brilliant quote. <coughs> to put it in theological terms, redemption depends solely on the inner life of the Trinity and on the incarnation of the Word of God. The reconciliation of all things has always lain hidden in the ordinary being of all things. Or, to put it in more everyday language, heaven is not a matter of choice. Like the spinach soup at the Waldorf, it's served to you no matter what you order. Hell, of course, is a real possibility, but it's only an option of sorts. It's a choice not to trust, to have no faith in the Word who's already holding you in the redeeming soup of the eternal interchanges between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in those interchanges, it's the Word of God Himself who is the final key to the mystery, not your worthiness as a valued customer. I love that. It is so theologically dense and so packed with an understanding of the doctrine of salvation that we hardly hear anymore because we have made it about us and what we do. If we do the right thing, and if we're on the right team, and if we're in the right church, and we have the... We do not save ourselves. God does. That's why we come to this table. The gospel of Jesus Christ is He died to save us. That's why we're worthy. He died. The world is saved. Yes, we can walk out. And sadly, some will. And the day will come when evil is finally dealt with. That time, I'll tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and gather wheat, bring it into my barn. But do we really want to decide that the invitation has expired for anyone? Is that our job? But listen, even if you reject everything I'm saying about this parable of wheat and weeds, and even if it is for you, a simple black and white parable that some are saved and some are not. The 
point is still the same. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And here's the thing. None of us, none of us are or ever will be involved in that final harvest in the separation of wheat and wheat. Jesus goes on in this passage in Matthew to tell the disciples what the parable means. And the first thing, one of the things he makes clear is it's he and his angels that do the work. So whatever judgment awaits those who reject the amazing grace God offers is something only God and his angels will carry out. It has nothing to do with us. We are called to simply follow this command. Allow, forgive, suffer the evil around us. Because in doing so, who knows how many weeds will become in the end wheat as the love of God through us grows his kingdom. Amen.